to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today on the show, we are talking about Judy Bloom. That's right. I mean, I, I can hear the screaming. I know. I feel like we should just pause for listeners to jump up and down. I know, crazy applause. Clap their hands. Do a little scream. dance. Maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe dance. Perhaps a little dance. <laughs> Go grab their copy of Forever and, and just start rereading it and, and forget clutch it. Yeah. Forget they're listening to a podcast. Um, so when we announced on Facebook that we were going to talk about Judy Bloom and we're asking for listeners' favorite Judy Bloom titles, people erupted in the comments in the best possible kind of way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We've only, I feel like we've only received feedback like that on a couple of very specific topics. Judy Bloom is obviously, obviously very close to people's hearts and and for good reason. This is a woman who has written or or did write in the 70s and still now is writing about things that pe- other people just don't. She's She's being so honest with her readers about a lot of stuff that Maybe sometimes your parents didn't even talk to you about. Maybe it is stuff that your mom never even told you. Whoa, we just brought it full circle, Caroline. I know. <laughs> we can end the podcast. It's fine. Stuff Mom Never Told You, the Judy Bloom of podcasts. Right. New tagline. Uh, Judy Bloom's lawyers might <laughs> come after us. <laughs> um, I loved this quote, though, from Ellen Berry at the Boston Phoenix, who called Judy Bloom the woman who invented American adolescence. And this would also though, be a good time to note that she just came out with a new book. Yeah, and everybody's writing about it by calling it an adult book. Not that it's not, not that it's not for grown-ups, but Judy Bloom herself has talked a lot about how you shouldn't limit yourself that her books that people call young adult books can be for anyone and and same with this because all of her themes are universal and I think hit home for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, and she doesn't even like being called a young adult author. She was like, yeah. oh, I wasn't writing for young adults. I was just writing. Yeah, exactly. Why do we need these boxes? Judy Bloom doesn't care for boxes, but she does care for leather and denim jackets. Yes. I love this conversation that Judy Bloom had with Chloe Seveny. They were talking about Judy's books and her character's fashion, uh, which I think is a really fascinating conversation. And so adorable and informative because, you know, in, in Judy Bloom's books, she always seems to mention sweaters a lot. So many sweaters. So many sweaters. But but uh, Bloom ends up talking about how one of her favorite periods in fashion was very specific. It was Santa Fe fashion in the 70s because she got to wear a lot of leather jackets and kind of prairie skirts over boots. I And I just imagine how fabulous that would be. I mean, I love it. Yeah. What's not to love about all that? And of course, Chloe Stephanie would ask about about fashion. Right. Um, and she also mentioned, uh, side note listeners, that she especially identified with Deanie because she also had scoliosis. It's like, here's someone going through what I'm going through, which really encompasses why Judy Bloom is so beloved. And we can even quantify just how beloved of an author she is because, Caroline, Judy Bloom has sold 82 million 
books. That'll buy you a lot of leather jackets. So many leather so jackets. So many leather jackets. But uh, what comes along with her readers identifying with her honest writing so much is the flip side of that, which is the fact that five of her books are on the American Library Association's 100 Most Frequently Challenged Books from the period between 1990 and 1999. And still, even today in 2015, she is... Super challenge. That doesn't mean the books have been banned yet. Challenge just means that people have brought a challenge saying that the book is inappropriate for certain readers. But they have been actually banned, not only in school libraries, but also in at-home libraries, like my home library growing up, which we'll talk about later. Um, But before she got to where she is now with 82 million books sold, in 1969, she published her first book, The One in the Middle is the Green Kangaroo, which I, the, the title is fantastic. Um, she's written 32 books, and she swears up and down that her most recent novel, In the Unlikely Event, will be her last. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of great to read interviews where she's talking about it because she's not at all, she's not at all sad. She's very much optimistic about, hey, you know what? Like, that's kind of behind me, that whole stressful working a million hours a day every single day for months. I just kind of want to put that to the side and enjoy life with my husband, George, who, again, she talks about him in such an amazing way, too. I'm just sort of I'm sort of fangirling out over Judy Bloom's whole life. Really? The jackets, the the romantic relationship with her husband, the fact that she's like, I'm just going to go on trips and enjoy life. But the thing is, though, Caroline, it hasn't always been so sunny for Judy Bloom. She no. went through some tough times, even while she was at her most prolific in the 70s. So for, for a brief Judy Bloom bio, she was born in 1938 in Elizabeth, New Jersey, where her most recent book is set, which she's talked a lot about how she finally, after so many books, is coming back home mm-hmm. for it. And she got married the first time at 21 to John M. Bloom, he of her last name Bloom, <laughs> of course. Yeah, and so by the time she was 25, she already had two kids, and she talks a lot about, she's very open with the fact that, yes, she is friends now with her first husband, but back then it was really difficult because she she talks about how, you know, that's such a young age to get married, you barely even know yourself at 21, as grown up as you might feel, and as common as it was at the time for people to be married by 21. My mom was married by 21. Yeah, um, and, but she, she talks about how, uh, you know, she was missing that creative energy and creative outlets that she had as a child, and she so clearly and in such a crystallized fashion remembers what it was like to be a kid and to run around and be creative and not be basically tied down by life. And so, um, she, around this time, starts writing and talks about how that saved her life. Yeah, I mean, and we should note that she had gone to college. She got her degree in education, but then realized that writing was the thing that was really in her blood. And she started by just making up rhyming stories while doing the dishes at night. And, and she would add little illustrations to them, package them up, and send them off to publishers. And as her interest grew, she started to think, 
you know, I think I want to tackle novels. So she takes a writing course at NYU. And honestly, even still, I mean, I know that it was not simple at this time for her to be a mother of two and, you know, like writing these stories in her spare time. But she still makes it sound so easy. I know. I took a writing course and then the rest is history, right? Well, not yet. There was actually a lot of rejection in the beginning. Yeah, according to her biography over at the Jewish Women's Archive, Judy Bloom received... I keep calling her Judy Bloom because I want to call her Judy and then I worry that that's disrespectful, but I feel like we would call each other by our first names if we hung out. Yeah? Or, or would you try to go for a nickname? Like JB? J. Blue? J. Blue. Whoa. Well, so old J. Blue received about six or even more rejection slips every week for two and a half years before the book The One in the Middle is the Green Kangaroo was finally accepted. So keep that in mind, aspiring creatives, that rejection is part of the process. Um, and after that publication of The One in the Middle is the Green Kangaroo, her first novel Iggy's House was published, and The Guardian describes Iggy's House as the story of Winnie, a girl whose quintessentially white suburban American street gets its first black family and who is confronted with and confronts racism. So right out of the gate, Judy Bloom is tackling Issues. Yeah, and, and during this period from 1970 to 1977, she hits this creative burst. So she finally gets her books accepted and they're published. And those were the famous years when her books Blubber, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, Sally J. Friedman, and Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret came out. Which, I'm a 31-year-old woman and I just read... Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, for the first time last week. And we're going to talk all about that we will. later in the podcast, because I want to hear all your thoughts. Caroline and I haven't really discussed our feelings about Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret, which I recently read for the first time <laughs> as well. So I'm very excited to get to that point. Um, but in speaking, though, of Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret, which came out in 1970, I believe, she says that's a real turning point for her to start developing this honest style that is really what so many adolescents and kids and even teens or even 30-year-old women (laughs) have gravitated to over the years. But in the background, as she is really getting her first taste of literary success, it's it's not all roses on the home front. In 1975, she divorces John M. Bloom. And for a snapshot of what life was like when you got divorced in 1975, uh, Judy Bloom told Makers that the first thing her mother said was, well, how could you possibly leave such a beautiful house? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like that's something my mother would say. <laughs> so few choices. Yeah, exactly. You know, but women's women's liberation was in full swing and Judy Bloom Judy Bloom was on board for it. Well, in 1976, she was also on board for marrying Thomas A. Kitchens and moving to New Mexico. And that's when she gets into all the leather jackets. And she talks about how, to Chloe Seveny in that same interview, which I'm obviously obsessed with, I just didn't realize it until right now, talks about how her children went to school with Tom Ford. I know. And yeah, don't you wish that could have been like a three-way conference call? We could have just, we could have just hopped on with both of them. Yeah. I wouldn't even have to have asked any questions or talked. Just put on silent, like those calls in 
in middle school like when you would do the three-way call to figure out if a boy liked your friend or whatever? Ooh. We'd be like, um, Judy, ask Chloe if she likes us. And they'd be like, who is this? How did you hack this line? Judy, it's Margaret. <laughs> uh, that might, I don't want to freak Judy out though. Um, J Blue? J Blue. Yeah, or J Bloom? J Blue. Well, three years later, she and Thomas divorce, and she moves to New York. And in 1987, she meet. well, I don't know when she met him, but she marries her beloved George Cooper. Again, I love hearing her talk about George. Oh, she she's just over the moon about George. Still is. And there's this fantastic quote from Harper's Bazaar that makes me really look forward to my 40s, although it won't be taking place in the 1970s. <laughs> she said, quote, I was at my best in the 70s. I'd turned 40, and that's when I met George. So it seems like a romantic, sexy time to me. He remembers the night of our first date. It was winter, and I took off my boots, and I didn't have any socks on. And he thought that was the most amazing thing he'd ever seen. Girl takes off boots. No socks. Wow. That was something. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love picturing like they're by a roaring fire in my mind. I feel like if that had been me, though, and I had taken off my boots and no socks, <laughs> the smell. <laughs> yes. Gentlemen would have said, wow, please put your boots back on. Yeah. Wow. You're just going to do that, huh? Yeah. That's just happening. Wow. That is a stench. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like romance cannot overcome uh, foot smell. Whew. Well, I mean, you got to be really in love. Maybe true love. It's a test, perhaps. But not early romance. Yeah. I mean, that's proof that it was, it was love at first boot. <laughs> love at first foot. Love at first foot. Love at first foot. And another refreshing thing about Judy Bloom, which is also not surprising, honestly, is that she does not hesitate to call herself a feminist and answer in the affirmative when asked whether she is one. And yeah, she was telling makers... Quote, I don't understand why some young people think feminism is a bad word. Maybe they just don't know what it was like to worry all the time about getting pregnant and to be terrified even within our marriages. And she goes on to say that the women's movement gave her courage. And like you said, it's not surprising that she identifies as a feminist because she was a twice divorced working mom in the 70s writing about girls having sex and not being punished for it. Yeah. Yeah, she talks about her book Forever, which is a huge book for so many people and which I still have to read. Um, but her daughter, Randy, actually requested the book. Um, she was sick of reading stories about young people who made the decision to have sex or be intimate in one way or another and then end up plot-wise getting punished for it in some way. You know, like the the young person book where at the end evil is punished and bad actions are punished and all of this stuff, and that all included sex or any type of sexual activity. And so Judy Bloom takes up the mantle of safe young person responsible sex and says, I have to write this book. And I, I, I loved finding out about how different books intersected with her real life. So how Forever was written for Randy and how Tiger Eyes was inspired by the difficulties that her son encountered with that move to New Mexico mm-hmm. after she got married for the second time and sort of uprooted the family a little bit. And she she admits openly that, that there were times when her personal life was a mess, but she was still writing these books and trying to figure it out. And then she met George and took off her boots and everything. 
everything got so much better, except for when 1980 hits and censorship really starts to come down on Bloom. Yeah, and we're not talking about people focusing solely on Judy Bloom's book. It was more of a cultural movement going on, and her books being published really coincided with a sharp rise in attempted book censorship here in the U.S. in the 1970s and 80s. And writing specifically about Judy Bloom and censorship in the neo- neo-Americanist, that was hard to say, Mallory Zemanski talks about how in the early to late 1970s, so I guess I could just say the 1970s, challenges of books made to the American Library Association uh, were, were pretty low. They were they were increasing, but they were still pretty low. Uh, they were about 300 per year by the late 70s. But in 1981, nearly a thousand challenges were reported. And so Judy Bloom's books, which we've said a couple of times now, were just very honest and very open with themes like sexuality and religion. That was part of that wave. Yeah, she talks about how puberty was a dirty word at the time. And it's understandable that this was happening in the 1980s because you have the Reagan administration and this rise of conservatism at the time. So censorship kind of goes into overdrive and it, and it turned her into an anti-censorship activist of sorts. Uh, She writes about this on her website, quote, I believe that censorship grows out of fear, and because fear is contagious, some parents are easily swayed. Book banning satisfies their need to feel in control of their children's lives, and this fear is often disguised as moral outrage. They want to believe that if their children don't read about it, their children won't know about it. And if they don't know about it, it won't happen. Which, in my experience, growing up in a household where Judy Bloom books were intentionally not allowed because of how they discussed things like religion, puberty, sexuality, and children just generally having opinions, mm-hmm. that that's not the case at all, obviously. And Judy Bloom knew that. Pu- puberty was going to happen to me. <laughs> And, and, and encounters with sexuality were going to happen to me, right? Regardless of whether I read Judy Bloom or not, right? And it, I mean, this whole thing is—it's the same conversation that surrounds sex ed in this country, in terms of like believing that if you just don't say "sex" to kids, they'll never figure it out, and no one will ever get pregnant, no one will ever have an STD. Where in reality, Judy Bloom n- kind of knew better than that, and knew. Because she literally was receiving letters from scared, sad, confused, lonely, unsure children. Her readers were writing her things, writing her letters, just saying, you know, am I normal? You know, people are starting rumors about me at school. I'm getting bullied. When am I going to get my period? All of the things that her characters like Margaret and Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, struggle with. Well, I mean, it's it's the fact that she wrote about kids as people and not just these these kids with who, who need to be protected or shushed. Yeah, exactly. And in 1999, amid the Harry Potter panic and all the censorship going on around that, she wrote an op-ed at the New York Times saying, quote, the real danger is not 
the books, but in laughing off those who would ban them because she takes censorship very seriously and not yeah. just because it might hurt her book sales. Yeah, she's she's a super active voice in the anti-censorship community because she basically says, you know, if we keep letting people ban books that they disagree with for their own personal reasons, then what's going to be left on the library shelves? How will kids ever learn anything? And and she, she made a point in one of the sources we read where she was talking about censorship that, you know, in my books, kids tend to, and in, and in really any book, kids tend to skip over and just sort of gloss over and gloss past things and concepts they don't understand. So it's not like they're getting spoiled by certain concepts that she writes about in her books. But she did say that, okay, if they do read or pick up on a concept in my book that maybe they're not sure about or they can't tell what it means or if it's wrong or what it has to do with their bodies or whatever, then maybe they'll actually get to take it to their parents and say, could we talk about this? Could you help explain it? And then it's sort of up to the parents to parent and either talk about it or say, you know, make a decision about the book at that point. And that honesty that we have emphasized over and over again already is certainly a cornerstone of why Judy Bloom has been so beloved by readers of all ages for so long. And now we're going to get a little bit more into the individual books themselves and the impacts that they have had, not only on us, but also famous authors you've probably heard of, and even some stuff mom never told you listeners. So we'll get into that when we come right back from a quick break. we've already touched on it a little bit. We're really going to take this half of the podcast to dig into the specifics of why Judy Bloom is so beloved. And really it comes down to the exact same reasons that she's so relentlessly censored because she is unafraid of writing frankly about boys, girls, socialization, changing bodies, all of these things that in our own adolescent minds kind of get us spinning and worried and concerned and even more so probably for parents and adults who want to shelter us from all of those more prurient things like bodies and (laughs) puberty and relationships. Yeah, whereas, hey, wouldn't that just be easier to just give me a Judy Bloom book and let me learn about the facts of life? Although I was never given any Judy Bloom books. I don't think they were censored in my house. I don't think my mom was purposely trying to keep them out. I just don't remember even really being aware of them when I was growing up. You never got secretly passed a, a worn copy of Forever? No. I was, uh, Kristen, you and I have talked about this. I was reading romance novels like, oh yeah, you were past Judy Bloom, <laughs> Caroline. You really didn't need, you really didn't need Bloom. From the time I was like early puberty, I was reading romance novels that my mom had left around the house. So yeah, I, I guess I did skip over the, <laughs> the are you there, God, it's me, Margaret stage. I went lo- right for the bodice ripping. I love that you and I are both now circling back to the age appropriate literature of our, of our early youth. Yeah, I picked it up. You know, Kristen and I decided to do this episode because it, it harkens back to the the young adult uh, summer reading episode we did last last year, last summer. And we're talking about how neither one of us had read a Judy Bloom. And so when I read Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, I was pretty much smiling throughout the whole thing because I think it's. 
I think it's adorable. And I think her writing is so important. And I loved reading, even though obviously I'm so far past all that stuff. It was so great and refreshing to read someone talking about puberty in that way and the way that girls can be and the way that it's like you just feel like you're the only weirdo on the planet sometimes when you're growing up. I mean, I still, you know, chant my my <laughs> must increase my bust ritual every night. Yeah. And because one day it might take <laughs> Caroline. Um, I had the same experience reading Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret, uh, finding it hilarious and also just basically enjoying as a writer her the, the spare style mm-hmm. of how she uses language so economically to communicate like a kid's brain so well. Yeah. Well, that was also refreshing. And, and Lena Dunham has a quote about this too, about loving Judy Bloom for the way she writes kids. Uh, she says, Judy is one of the only authors who, at the time she started writing, acknowledged that kids have a fully formed consciousness and questions that aren't innocent and a sense of what's happening in the adult world around them. I mean, you know, it was so great when you were a kid to encounter a grown up who talked to you who indulged you enough to talk to you like a grown-up and to treat you like you did have a brain and you did have opinions, even if your opinions were ridiculous and very, you know, appropriate to whatever age you were. You know, a nine-year-old doesn't know much about Israeli politics or anything like that, but... Well, speak for yourself, (laughs) Carolyn. Well, um, so yeah, so, so I also appreciated reading a character written like that. Well, and even though we were reading these books, what, 40 years after they were originally written, she's still touching on timeless issues. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's that seems like the, such an inappropriate word for it. It's, it's just like basic like dynamics of adolescence in terms of girl friendships mm-hmm. and how do you deal with that girls developing bodies. Mm-hmm. I mean, and a little bit of slut shaming that happened among some of the girls and are you there goddess me Margaret and just crushes like yeah. how you feel when you see a boy or a girl and your stomach kind of erupts. Yeah, I know. And a lot of people ask Judy Bloom if she was trying to write these books as lessons, as teaching tools, as a political tool. And she's very adamant that, no, these were not. And this wasn't any of that stuff. I wasn't trying to teach people something or teach people a lesson. I just had these stories and I had to write them. But it just so happened that my voice was sort of alone in 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 that in the way that I ended up writing and she says maybe I'm trying to illuminate I've always felt that my responsibility as a writer is to be honest when I first started writing I felt that adults hadn't ever been honest with me or my generation our parents loved us but their way of loving was to never tell us the truth about anything and to protect us from what they thought we shouldn't know or the things they felt uncomfortable discussing so I wanted to be honest for kids in my books the way I wanted adults to be honest with me when I was growing up. And growing up in that post-World War II era of so much silence like that, I mean, it must have had such a big impact because like kids today, thanks to the internet, will will probably never grow up in as culturally sheltered as you know, baby boomer children did. Mm-hmm. And probably because she was starting so genuinely from from almost that just blank canvas, mm-hmm. it, it sort of shaped 
the entire, just like it, it gave her that need for honesty that she wouldn't have had otherwise if she were growing up with a little more knowledge about how things are or a little more access to information about how things work. And I mean, she's very clearly upfront with a lot of teen and puberty related issues in a lot of her books. And that includes uh, the book Deanie with the famous or infamous, depending on how you look at it and maybe whether you're a a school principal, uh, the scene that features masturbation in Deanie. Deanie has scoliosis, and that's the focus of the book, but a lot of people do focus and zero in on the fact that she's sort of discovering her body. You know, she's experiencing scoliosis. She's this pretty young girl. She has to wear an embarrassing back brace and deal with what that means and what people think about her. But it also focuses on just being a young girl and discovering your body and your physicality and what feels good. Yeah, and... I mean, speaking as a woman who was once a young girl, that would have been a helpful thing for me to have (laughs) and read to be like, oh. Well, and yeah, especially since in the book, the gym teacher is also very, I don't want to say sex positive. I don't want to go that far, but is also very like. No, you're you're touching yourself. This is masturbation. It's normal. That's it's good. totally sex positive. Well, yeah, but I mean, I don't know if Judy Bloom would use the word sex positive. Well, she hates labels, right? She hates labels. Um. When I was reading about how basically positive and supportive the gym coach was, my mind was blown. I mean, my face was just like, oh, really? Because I don't, I never read anything like that at all when I was growing up. And so to have, to have not only a book like Forever where sex between teens is written as something that is done between responsible young adults who've made a decision and practice safe sex, to not only have that, but then to have sort of this ancillary character who's like, no, you're okay. You're okay in your body and you're doing something normal and it's not wrong. You're all right. It's just, (laughs) even now in 2015, it's mind-blowing. Well, it's also revealing getting her insight on Sally J. Friedman starring herself, which Judy Bloom has said is her most autobiographical novel. And um, in an epilogue to a later edition of the book, she wrote, quote, When I was 10, I was a lot like Sally, curious, imaginative, a worrier. In my stories, which I never wrote down or shared, I was brave and strong. I led a life of drama, adventure, and fame. I think the character of Sally explains how and why I became a writer. And that, to me, says so much and and makes so plain why her books are as forthright as they are. Well, not only that, but I think it illustrates why she's such a passionate advocate for basically allowing children to read what they want to read, to fight censorship, because she talks about how, you know, when I was a kid, I was reading these these books with adventure and fantasy in them, and you know what it made me want to go out and do? Fly. She writes about how it just, these things, they're not meant to convince children, like Harry Potter, they're not meant to convince children that, you know, magic is a thing and that religion is bad and that wizards are going to rule the world. It's more about letting children imagine and fantasize and, and delve into that world of imagination where they can be anyone and do anything and how powerful that can be on a child's own sense of creativity. I was a super obsessive, constant reader growing up, and I also loved to write. No, I didn't write anything amazing or great. You know, I wasn't like penning the great Get American... out of this podcast studio then. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't penning the great American novel at seven, but... 
in reading wonderful stories of adventure and fantasy and or, or novels about friendship or, or teamwork, like it makes you realize that the, the world is bigger and it can be a wonderful place. Yeah. And it's also to giving kids that sense of normalcy, which is so important. And this is something that's uh, emphasized over and over again in Letters to Judy, what kids wish they could tell you, um, which is a collection of letters from readers to Judy Bloom um, that includes things like letters from a, a fern girl named Fern, nine years old, who says, Dear Judy, please tell me the facts of life in numbered order. I love that so much. I, uh, I am also a very uh, like rigid, I like things in order and in lists and to-do lists and schedules, and so I, I identify with nine-year-old Fern. Well, and, and nine-year-old Fern and all these other kids writing, like, ultimately... What they really want is to just know, like, am I okay? Am I normal? Is what I'm going through, like, right? And will I fit in? You know, all all of those, you know, just kind of vexing questions that certainly don't evaporate once you get out of adolescence. Yeah. And I mean, sure. Well, when you grow up, it starts, you start to realize that like, hey, maybe being like everyone else isn't all it's cracked up to be. But when you're going through puberty or when you're about to hit puberty and maybe you, you haven't had any sort of talk with your parents or any sort of education about your body. When things start changing, that is that can be really scary and stressful. And so you're sure not going to talk about it with friends if you're really embarrassed by it. So to have somebody like Judy Bloom to let you know, she's like almost like the goddess of, of adolescence. Yeah, I mean, it, her books have served as such a companion. Um, this was something that Samantha B from The Daily Show and her forthcoming solo show talked about to the New York Times and how she saw herself reflected in the lead character in Blubber. And she says, not from the bullying point of view, but from the point of view of a kid who's trying to fit in, a striver, I recognize in myself that feeling of, oh, you've got to work hard to belong. You've got to figure it out. And that is so, I mean, I I have felt that same thing when I was a kid reading Mm -hmm. Uh, Beverly Cleary books because, you know, Ramona resonated so much with me because I saw myself on the page. Mm-hmm. And that's such an empowering thing for a kid. Yeah. To, to feel that you are represented and that just somebody gets it. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes you and that makes you OK. Yeah. And that gives you, you know, so, a, a little bit of a boost to muddle through all of the adult things that might not make any sense, that you might not have any control over whatsoever. Yeah, and like, you know, reading Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, um, she's dealing with parents who are of a different religion. She's dealing with, you know, her grandparents who are radically different from one another. She's dealing with a new school, new friends, a best friend who's a little bit bossy, a little bit. <laughs> Nancy Wheeler, a lot of it. A lot of it. And also having a secret crush on a boy that you know maybe you're not supposed to have a crush on, but you just can't help it. He looks so good mowing the lawn. I mean, and also, haven't we all had to deal with a Nancy Wheeler at some point? Yeah. Even as I was reading that book at 30, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, Nancy, Nancy. But I've been both of them. I've been Nancy and I've been Margaret. And you've been the crush mowing the lawn. (laughs) I have never mowed a lawn. That's something. Okay, so wait, 31 is the year that I finally read Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Maybe it's the year I'll finally mow a lawn. (sighs) 
you know, I've mowed a number of lawns in my day. Oh, yeah? That is not a euphemism. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, uh, it's not bucket list worthy. It's not, yeah, it's not cracked up, what all is cracked up to be. <laughs> not, not all it's cracked up to be. Um, well, we've talked a lot about parents, adults, these generic, stodgy humans who don't want to inform younger kids about the facts of life. And that was something, too, pointed out in a New Yorker piece by Anna Holmes on uh, why Judy Bloom books mean so much to her and to other girls in particular. And she talks about how the depiction of adult women in the books a lot of times are, as she describes it, highly anxious, easily upset, overly protective, and obsessed with outward appearances. And she notes that perhaps Judy Bloom is also in that process really emphasizing this contrast between these earlier times in our lives that we should appreciate when What's going on inside of our heads feels like everything and we have so many feelings and we're trying to sort it out and every moment is the best or the worst Mm -hmm. before you kind of transition into this time when there is so much body focus and anxiety and just general womanhood. Yeah. You know, there's so much more. There is such a sense of freedom. Um in a lot of her characters, I think. Well, yeah, and the, and the fact that, like, while everything seems so big and heavy when it comes to worrying about your period, worrying about, your, are you going to grow boobs finally? Um, but then they get to go run outside in the sprinkler. And yeah. so I think there's something, I just, I just really loved reading about these kids who like, oh, you don't have to worry about taxes yet. You just have to worry about filling out your bra and running through a sprinkler. <laughs> I miss that. I miss it. And you know what I was so jealous of was how she was able to just walk over to Nancy Wheeler's house. Yeah. It was just like this, you know, neighborhoods were so different. Back then, I mean, and, and we're talking about, you know, the New Jersey suburbs and you just let the kids out and yeah, just walk over to someone's house, bike over to somebody's house. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that I wish I had had more of as a kid. But I also, I read that in other books too and was always like, man, that'd be cool. I want a neighborhood gang. Yeah, I was part of a neighborhood gang of, there were four or five of us. It was, I grew up next door to two boys and then my, my best friend Allie was down the street with her sister. And so I was, I was the only child that sort of floated between siblings and we'd wander the neighborhood and. Would you bike around? We'd bike around. We'd, uh, I'd, I'd get my dogs to pull me on the skateboard of the boy next door. Yes, of course. As we've talked about on our skateboarding episode. Um, yeah, and then play with makeup and stuff with the girls, so. Yeah, I do. It was, it was nice to think back to that time of like sweaty summers as a kid, roaming from house to house and basically having your parents just in the air conditioning inside, not worried about it. So Caroline, what's your next Judy Bloom read going to be? Well, I, I have to buy Blubber and I have to buy Forever, but literally the next Judy Bloom book that is in my bag right now is Super Fudge. Oh. Yeah, and which she said was based on her sons, or her son, one of the two. Yeah, Super Fudge was one I remember my mom citing as a reason why. No, not okay. Oh, then I can't wait to read it. I know. Please, please, don't tell my mom. <laughs> uh, let me just pass it, pass it to me. 
uh, by our, under under the cubicle or something. Yeah. Um. So I so my mom won't find out. <laughs> um. The next book of hers I would like to read is Wifey. Oh yeah. One of her more adult novels. Yeah. Partially because the title intrigues me, and also partially because I love a good story about repressed housewives. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. We we just need to have sort of an ongoing Jitty Bloom book club. It sounds like. Sounds like someone listening is gonna organize that. <laughs> I know. Somebody get on that. Have a have a Sminty fan book club going on. Well, and speaking of listeners, of course we want to hear from you. We want all of your Judy Bloom thoughts. Mom stuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us. Your favorite Judy Bloom titles, hashtag Judy Bloom. You can also message us on Facebook. And in lieu of our typical listener mail segment, we are going to share some of your Facebook comments about Judy Bloom because they're just too good and too excited not to. So these are responses to the question, what is your favorite Judy Bloom book? Sarita Combs Canada said, OMG, starring Sally J. Friedman as herself is my caps all time favorite book. Please, please, please read it. You will freaking love it. And Sarita, I'm so glad to see your comment because I just realized that I botched that title earlier in the podcast when I mentioned it. So friends, please save yourself an email. The correct title, I realize, I'm correcting myself now, is starring Sally J. Friedman as herself, not Sally J. Friedman starring herself. Well, speaking of fudge and forever, Jennifer writes, I remember really enjoying the fudge books in third grade. In high school, I found my mom's old copy of Forever with sticky notes marking certain pages. I mentioned them to her, and then the next time I picked up the book to keep reading, they had mysteriously vanished. (laughs) Michelle Serenity Salas said, Summer Sisters and Wifey. Read them both when I was 14, and I remember my lady parts feeling very adult while reading these books in class. Amy Wheeler Colburn writes, It's a tie between Tiger Eyes and Iggy's house. Those books changed me so profoundly. I am positive I still have them packed away somewhere, and I'm inspired to go pull them out. Alicia Adams commented, I love everything this woman ever penned. Truly helped me through some of the most difficult parts of my childhood. I can probably recite at least the first chapter of Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing from memory. Also, was I the only little black kid who flipped when the show came out and Jimmy Fargo was black? That made my entire week. Remember it like it was yesterday. Kelsey Ann Romanoff writes, Forever. It taught me young relationships are hard for everyone and to value myself, but it didn't have that don't have sex or you will die vibe, at least that I remember. No, Kelsey, I think you're right. (laughs) Bertha Colley said, It's somewhat ironic that I'm at a loss for words when it comes to Judy Bloom and what she meant to me when I was a preteen and beyond. God, I have tears in my eyes even trying to think of what to say. Right now, the only word that comes to mind is gratitude. I'm so grateful for Judy Bloom. Marianne Boyer Hopping writes, Oh, I think I need to do some rereading. Are You There, God? and Forever were faves of mine. I remember being shocked that I was allowed to read Forever and making sure my parents didn't find out what was in it. And speaking of which, Linda Allen commented, Forever! My mom called it porn. (laughs) 
Well, listeners, we can't wait to hear more from you about Judy Bloom and why you think she is so beloved. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with links to our sources so you can learn more about the life of Judy Bloom, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. On this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 